faith, which originated as a series called The Word of Faith. But as I began to develop this series, it really became a journey of faith. And I can honestly say from friend to friend and as a pastor, I really enjoy watching people's journey of faith. I enjoy seeing them grow and, and learn of the grace of God and the transformation that takes place when you begin to identify more fully with what Christ accomplished on the cross. And, and you learn to live and walk in the strength of this and that, you know, that transformation, do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed. Come on, as that transformation takes place in your life, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to take place. I've said it before, it's almost, if you will, that passage there I'm quoting is Romans 12 and 2, and there's a word there in the, in the Greek. Obviously, you know, I struggle to, to have good English, much less to attempt to say Greek words, but it's metamorphia there, which from which we get our English equivalent of metamorphosis, and, uh, and it means, again, a transformation. And so when, immediately in my mind, when I think of metamorphosis, I think about the caterpillar, the caterpillar that crawls on the ground, crawls on the blades of grass, crawls on the tree, but then he, he cocoons himself. He shrouds himself, and through a process that, of what God's put inside him, you know, he, he is transformed into a butterfly. And, and I really believe that, that we could see that in Christ, and we can see that in what God can do in our hearts and lives by the Word of God. Right, that you might crawl into some things, but God begins a process of transformation in you, and you can fly out of some things. Amen? And, and that's, a, that's a beautiful thing to behold. And so this journey of faith, my objective has been is that as we see the children of Israel, which we note them as the church in the wilderness, that we can identify with them both their both of their, their faith, the times that they showed true faith, but also we can learn from their unbelief, we can learn from their failures, because there are many failures for the children of Israel on this journey. But we somehow have to identify with it. At times you find yourself looking at it from the Lord's perspective. At times from the people's perspective. And at times from Moses' perspective. Here in this 11th chapter you'll find this is a frustrating time for the, for the children of Israel. The time uh, It's frustrating to Moses. There's been judgment that's come upon the people because of their constant complaining. <laughs> I knew nobody would say amen to that one at all. And, um, and this constant complaint actually resulted in God's judgment upon the people. And again, the earlier part of this text here is where the children of Israel fell lusting for food. Uh, obviously, to desire food is not lust, but the context here is they wanted meat. They're, they're, they have a false uh, memory of what took place in Egypt. They, they, they said in the fifth verse, it's not your text that I've given them, but it's just me backtracking for a moment of time. We remember freely the food we ate in Egypt. There was no uh, free food in Egypt. They labored for that food. They paid for that food with their souls and uh, with, with their freedoms. And so the, it, all of this is coming upon Moses, and Moses just reaches a place of exasperation. Um, I've preached a sermon entitled, in days gone by, The Frustrated Preacher. We see it in Moses. He's literally just frustrated in his prayer before God. And, and he's just crying out, you know, and he's just simply saying, God, why, why have you called me? Why, why am I here to lead this people? Have I, in the 12th verse, it said, have I conceived all of these people? He said, I can't, I, can't, I can't manage, I can't lead, I can't shepherd, you know, this people and all of the constant complaining and the trials that they're going through. And, and he's kind of pouring out his complaint before the Lord. 
And the Lord responds to Moses. God is very gracious here to Moses. And we're going to read about eight verses, nine verses of Scripture. If you would, would you stand up one more time in honoring the Word of God here today? And we're going to look at this text. Because I believe this text says something that I believe is the word for this fellowship. And it's the word for you here today. Here it is in the 16th verse that we pick this narrative up of the 11th chapter. And the Lord said to Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down, and I will talk with thee there. And I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bearest it not thyself alone. Now, Paul's there, and we'll jump ahead until this actually takes place. And Moses, verse 24, Moses went out, and he told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people, and he set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down, verse 25, and the Lord came down in a cloud, and spake unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, that they prophesied and did not cease. Which I'll elaborate on that because it doesn't read that way in some of the newer translations. Verse 26, but there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And uh, the Spirit rested upon them. And that's if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's the way it's spelled, but you know what? That doesn't mean anything at times. And, um, and the Spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written. But went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And I think you can understand that context there, that those uh, 68 of the men that had been chosen went to the tabernacle, to the door of the tabernacle, but two of the men stayed in their camp with their tents. But, but then they went out, but they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. Verse 29 uh, here today is, the, is what's going to extract our title here in just a moment time. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake. Would God, or we might even add would to God, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Isn't that powerful? So I'm going to take from this, here's a title that I want to speak to you today, and I'm going to be more in a teaching mode today, so I might not be the Reverend Leotis quite here today. And that is, this is my, my title, Moses' Hope, Moses' Prayer. Because I, I found that in that last verse, didn't you? That he's actually saying that. He may be saying it to Joshua, but he's actually saying it to the Lord. God would to God that all your people were prophets. And the Lord, oh God, that you would put your spirit upon them all. That's Moses' hope. That's Moses' prayer. Let's expound on it here. Father, I love you, and I'm grateful to be here. I feel humbled to be here. Uh, God, I'll confess 
to the church family, I've been distracted in the preparation in my heart this week. And if you weren't gracious, I wouldn't be prepared at all. But you were gracious. And when I sat down with pen and paper and an open parchment called my heart, Father, I believe your spirit wrote upon that parchment yesterday and gave me the confidence to stand in front of the people that I have the word for the, of the Lord for the people. God, today, Lord, every person here is a part of this subject. Every person here today. God, I believe that Moses' prayer is still being echoed today. Should be in the cry of every pastor and leader today for their congregation. Would to God that you would put your spirit upon us all. So, God, I love you, and I pray your Holy Spirit to elaborate and speak and quicken and make alive the Word of God to us today, Lord. Let preaching come easy in this house. Come on, somebody. Father, let us learn and grow in understanding, Father, and then let us have a great liberty in the work of the Holy Spirit, God. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for honoring the reading of the Word of God by standing. So let me take just a moment of time here very quickly to this passage of Scripture. It's very unique, especially when you consider that we're just not very far from the tipping point with the children of Israel uh, where they, they stumbled in unbelief. And that's going to be where I'm going to be going in the, net, the next couple of weeks in this journey because we can relate to it as well. But this particular passage here, we find Moses succumbing to the pressure of leading so many people with the constant complaining and the, uh, the, the poor decisions that the people were making until he literally just pours his heart out before God and asks for God's intervention and God's help. And God does promise that he will give 70 men that he will awaken gifts within them, what we would call rulership gifts or governing gifts that would help him, uh, you know, to govern the people over the next what would prove to be later 40 years. Now, in this particular passage of Scripture, in order to distinguish or to designate this 70 people, God told Moses that he would do something very, very unique. It's a very unique passage of Scripture where he said, Moses, I'm going to take of the spirit that's upon you. The grace of God, the endowment of the Holy Spirit that was upon Moses at whatever level, we have no record of when that occurs. We have no moment where Moses, it says, and this. So you can read about David when David was anointed with oil uh, there, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the sheepfold. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. But we don't have any record of that with Moses. So what we can presume is, is that when Moses is in the presence of God, either at the burning bush, certainly on Mount Sinai, and he's 40 days in the presence of God, it's there that the Spirit of God must come upon Moses, altering him. Obviously, we've learned that Moses' face actually shines with the glory of God as he's reflecting the glory of God upon the people. So the presence of God is upon Moses, and God says, I'm going to take of that endowment of the Spirit that's upon you, and I'm going to place it upon others. They're going to carry your Spirit. They're going to carry their, uh, your grace, the grace I've shown to you, and they're going to help you govern the people. But what was unique about the passage is, is that when the Spirit of God came upon them, the rulership gift is what was agitated or awakened within them, but it was confirmed first by a prophetic utterance. That when the Spirit of God was placed upon them, as we read there, and I know I'm talking and preaching with my hands, that as the Spirit of God came upon them, their tongues were loose, and they began to prophesy and to speak prophetically. 
Now, I said I would make note of, I believe, the 26th verse, because in the, um, in the King James uh, version of the Bible, or no, the 25th verse, there it says, they prophesied and did not cease. But many of the newer translations translate it differently, and they will say, though they never did so again that it was actually just a one-day or one-time occurrence. And even if it was just a one-time occurrence, it still was a validation. It was a validation to the rest of the camp of Israel that this group of 70 men had a divine endowment that the spirit of this invisible God that they had seen His handiwork on Mount Sinai when He had come down on the mount and His glory had been readily seen by the people was now His presence was upon not just Moses but the 70 as well. So whether they continued to prophesy or whether it was a one-time event, I'm not going to argue that point. The point is it validated the call and the anointing of God that was upon them to help Moses to go govern the people, right? And so with this, though, for just a moment, I have a couple questions. Is this the beginning, though, of a pattern for those who believe in God? Is this the, is this the beginning of something that we can begin to follow through the course of Scripture that's going to culminate with what we see in the record of the book of Acts, in the New Testament, and then in your life as well? That the work of the Holy Spirit. So we see all the way throughout the scriptures again. uh, We see people experiencing the power and the presence of God coming upon them. We see this all the way through the Old Covenant. Even into the early New Testament. Even in the Gospels. We're reading about Simeon and Anna. Elizabeth and Mary. Zechariah, John and even Jesus. There's a prophetic unction of the Spirit. Up until this time in the Word of God. We have no record of the Hebrew patriarchs having the Spirit of God come upon them the way that we read about it here in Numbers 11. I personally believe this is a pivotal moment in the history of God dealing with His children of a unique moment that's setting the precedence for something that would come uh, to full fruition many, many uh, years later and something that you and I are experiencing uh, even now. Up until this time, when you think about Abraham and you think about Isaac and you think about Jacob, the patriarchs of the nation of Israel to whom received the promises, they had divine encounters. They worshiped God at an altar. Jacob pillowed his head at Bethel. Jacob wrestled with the angel beside the river Jabbok. All of those things. But we have no record in the Word of God where the Spirit of God that hovered over the earth in the Genesis actually lights or comes upon them. So it's a kind of, to me, this is the beginning of beginnings. This is that moment of time where God begins to endow the people of God with His supernatural presence. And from that day forward, you'll then begin to see things. You'll begin to see prophets arise, people where the Spirit of God comes. And sometimes there are sign gifts such as prophecy and, and, and understanding of dreams. Or sometimes like Samson, Samson, the Spirit of God came upon him and he doesn't necessarily prophesy. But God uses him to judge the children of Israel and to deliver them from the Philistines. So it begins, to me, it's the beginning of a journey, a journey that we're on today. With this, though, there's a couple things that I want to draw your attention to. So in the New Testament church, you and I are familiar to a degree with uh, the Spirit of God, even if we've not been a part of what we call a Pentecostal, charismatic, or Spirit-filled fellowship, but we, are, we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the context of conversion. 
The point I'm making today is, that we're going to get to in a little while, if you'll allow me to just kind of teach and establish, some of, for some of you, these are deeply held to beliefs, but not everyone. For others, this is something that we need the Holy Spirit to, to bring revelation to us, to create faith in us, that we can believe for a promise that I believe is made to you, but if you don't press in, you won't receive it. And so with this, very quickly, what I want to share with you, what about the work of the Holy Spirit in being born again? I want, to, I want to question real quickly today. Is there a difference? Is there something that is distinct from the Spirit of God coming upon a believer and that which we call being born again? Let me try to elaborate. If you're familiar with, God, with John's gospel, towards the end of John's gospel, at, the, at what we call the first post-resurrection appearance of Christ, when he appears to his disciples in Galilee, minus Thomas, whom we call Doubting Thomas. When Christ appears to them and confirms to them that he is the resurrected Son of God. Luke records it this way. He said, when they thought he was a spirit, just a, the, the silhouette of a body. He said, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Handle me and see, touch me and see. So we know that. And, and, but John records that in that meeting, here's what he does. The Bible says that he breathes on them. John 20, verse 22. He breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit of God. Now, the point that I'm making is, is that experience the same as what we were reading about in Numbers and also in other experiences that I'm going to draw you to in a moment? Or is that moment there not the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon a believer, but is that what we call there the salvation experience where a person is born again, born from above, that when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into your heart, regenerating your spirit, giving you the life of God or the indwelling Holy Spirit. But it is to be distinguished from a secondary work of the Spirit where the Spirit will come upon you, empowering you for your service before God. It's a question that all of us, I believe, at some point in time in our journey of faith that we're going to have to resolve this. You're going to have to resolve that if I am truly born again, either that's all there is, that's the work of the Spirit in my heart and life, or wait a minute, I'm born again, I've been identified as His, I'm a part of the kingdom of God, but God's Spirit can still come upon me. And a grace can be re realized in my life, empowering me to do things that I would not ordinarily have the natural prowess to do. And that's where I think we need to turn our attention for just a moment. In doing so, we're going to do so by asking, looking very quickly at a few passages of Scripture that, that have affirmed this within what we call the fellowship of the Pentecostal churches. And that is a belief, we believe, that as a born-again believer, there is a distinct Second, if you will, work of grace where the Holy Spirit will come upon a believer's heart and life and there will be divine endowments released in you and upon you and you will have the capability to minister and to do things that you, again, as I said, in your natural abilities you would not normally possess. It comes entirely from the Lord. Are y'all out there today? So we're going to establish this doctrine. So here's a question. So in... Acts chapter number 1, verses 4 through 8. I think I am. I think I may have given them this, if not. That's a famous passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it just real quickly because that's, that's, that's post-resurrection by 40 days. And, and it's verses 5 through 8. Many of you are familiar with it. 
But, but just real quickly, or verses 4 through 8, but real quickly, we won't, we won't, we're not going to camp here, but we're going to establish this. This is the post-resurrection by 40 days. The people are now on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is just moments away from ascending into the presence of God, and he's commanding his disciples to not depart from Jerusalem till they receive the promise of the Spirit that he had taught them about for the latter couple of years, especially that last week or two uh, before he was crucified on the cross. And he spoke here about, he said in verse 5, you have been baptized with water, but he said, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they didn't understand fully what that meant at that particular time. But he promises in the 8th verse, he said, when this happens, there's going to be a release in your life of the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit that you're going to receive power. And I know many of you have studied this out. That word is dunamis in the, king, or in the original language, and it means explosive, miracle-working power. The Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you're going to be able to be witnesses unto me because of the supernatural power and the grace of God. But the question that I have for you is, when the events un fold and that comes to pass in the second chapter 10 days later from that time that Jesus utters these words it, when that comes to pass and the experience of not only the 12 apostles but the 120 that are numbered with the apostles at that particular time is that experience where the spirit comes upon them the same as when he breathed on them when he met them in Galilee something I think that you have to answer amongst yourself you have to be able to, to, to answer this because let's just jump ahead real quickly. Acts chapter number 2 to the fulfillment of that, the fourth verse. And they were all, because I'm going to lay a foundation and I'm going to bring you to a, a few uh, climatic points to hopefully stir your heart in faith because it's a powerful part of your journey if you will press in. So verse 4 of the fulfillment of this, what was Jesus had promised them 10 days earlier, verse 4, it says this, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, correct? The point that I'm making today is what, is what takes place here in the 120 that are gathered there along with the apostles or the apostles being numbered in the 120. Is that the same or is that different from when he breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit? Is it a distinct and a separate work? I personally conclude that it is a distinct and a separate work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. I honestly believe that it is the fruition or it is the fulfillment of Moses' prayer made long ago. There outside the tabernacle, there in the wilderness journey with 68 brothers prophesying in the presence of Moses and two prophesying in the camp. And when Moses' servant comes to him and says, Moses, you need to stop those two. They didn't come to church. They're not in this group of people. They're not right here. You need to stop them from prophesying. And Moses said, oh, don't pray that for me. Don't say it for my sake. Because my hope and prayer is this, that there will come a moment and a time. There will come a day and an hour when the Spirit of God can come upon all God's people. 
Whoo, that's good right there. And I believe that was the fulfillment of Moses' prayer or the initiation of the fulfillment of that prayer. But you've got to resolve this. This is the thing that we wrestle with when we begin to grow in faith. Because it's not blind to our eyes, this distinct work of the Spirit in the church and the lives of New Testament believers. When you read the book of Acts, when you read the epistles, you see God moving in the hearts and lives of the people. And if you're not a part of a Pentecostal charismatic or a Spirit-filled fellowship, you will look around and you will wonder where some of this is in your generation and in your church and I, so you you're 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 answering the question whether or not you're asking yourself the question you're resolving it within yourself at times even without asking yourself the question but my job is to challenge you so i believe that what took place in acts 2 and 4 is totally different from what took place in john 20 verse 22 Because if it was the same as in John 20, the scripture would read this. And that when the Spirit of God came upon them in Acts 2, and they were all born again, born from above, he breathed into their spirit and said, you are now born again. But it doesn't say that. It says they were filled with the Spirit of God and began to speak in other tongues. Let's go a little bit farther to one of the next references. It's in Acts 8. Many of you know this. The gospel has now gone to the community of the Samaritans. I'm just going to journey. I can't be afraid of just elaborating on Scripture. This particular passage here, an evangelist by the name of Philip has gone to a city called Samaria, and he's preached the gospel. The fruit of that preaching is that there have been many miracles. The fruit of that preaching is many profess faith in Christ, and many were water baptized. But as a result, though, There was something that had not taken place. Many of you know this. It still will stir your heart to read it again. The Bible says that that they have sent for the apostles. I didn't include the 14th verse. But when Jerusalem heard about what took place in Samaria, they sent Peter and John to Samaria to help Philip with the the church that that was started there. Verse 15, when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so verse number 17 says, They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So it's a powerful, again, to me, to me, I'm not trying to speak it for you, but I'm just telling you, to me, I see a distinction in being born again or being saved and the Spirit coming upon them. Because they're already water baptized, they've made profession of faith in Christ, they believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus, but the second work of the Spirit seems to have not been manifested, and it was aided by the apostles laying hands on them. Let's go a little bit farther. Acts chapter 9, we'll turn the page one more time. So now we have the record of not a group of people, a city, or an entire populace, but just one man, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, most of you know his journey. And so it's not going to, once we get past establishing the foundation, the rest of the sermon's not going to take that long. Acts 9 and 17 tells us here that Ananias, a, de- a devout disciple who's spirit-filled, is sent by the Holy Spirit to the house where Saul, who has been blinded on the Damascus Road. You know, most of you know that, but, so I, I can't elaborate on it. But let's just read it carefully. Verse 17, and Ananias went his way. And he entered into the house, and he putteth his hands on him, 
and said this. Now read this, but you read it silently. It's on the screen, but let me tell you how it doesn't read. It does not read, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that I might lead you unto salvation through Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that, does it? It, doesn't, it? it says, the Spirit of God, the Lord, has directed me to come to you that you might receive your sight but, and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, which to me is a distinct experience from what we read about in John chapter number 20 or what we referenced. Now let's turn the page one more time. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts is too, too much to expound on it. I'm only going to highlight it quickly because this is a very unique passage of Scripture. Even the, what happens in this moment as Peter goes to the home of, a, of Gentiles and he's preaching the gospel without an invitation, without water baptism, without laying on of hands, without, any, without even Peter praying the prayer of Moses, look what takes place. While Peter spake those words... The Holy Spirit fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished because as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And for they heard them speak with other tongues and and magnify God. Catch that. And magnify God would be prophesied. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. From there, so this one's even—it's way out of order. It—it's it, just way out there. No invitation, no music being played, no hands being laid on, no water baptism, no communion, no specially called service, no tearing in the Lord's presence. Just before, while Peter's yet preaching, the Holy Spirit just moves amongst the people. It's a powerful moment here, and, and yet there's a point that I want you to see real quickly. The point is, even though it's out of place and out of order and all of those things, it's almost like it's a simultaneous work of the Holy Spirit, almost like being breathed upon and being baptized and being filled with the Holy Spirit is all happening simultaneously. So from that point forward in Acts 10 all the way to another passage of Scripture, we see God working by His Holy Spirit through the apostles through the other disciples. There's preaching of the Holy Spirit. There's preaching with, of the name of Jesus. There are miracles that are being performed. There are deliverances that are taking place. The church is being strengthened. There's prophesying. But what we don't find is we don't find an additional text to support the doctrine that I'm teaching until Acts chapter number 19. That's where we're going to go right here today for just a moment, and I'm almost through with the foundation for just a moment of time. Acts 19, many of you are familiar, but let's go ahead and read this very, very quickly. Acts 19, now we find the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Here it says that while, he was at, uh, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul has passed through the upper coast and he's come to Ephesus. He's found certain disciples and he said to them, here's a question, note the question. He, he, said, he said, have you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior? Read because that's, for many, that's what they would have us believe. But Paul doesn't ask that question. He asked a question about post-conversion. Right? He asked a question about, wait a minute, if you've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then have you received the Holy Spirit? Because we see all the way back in Samaria, there are times people are water baptized and saved, and the Spirit has not yet come upon them. And so Paul's asking them that question, and their response is pretty clear there. We've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. 
We've not even heard whether there be anything and, uh, related to this. So he dialogues with them. Well, what, when were you baptized? And I won't go into all that. So let's jump ahead to the fifth verse. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Spirit of God came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Now, when you think about that, don't forget about Moses' prayer. Don't forget about the prayer that Moses prayed 1,500, 1,400 years earlier. And let me then begin to fold this together if I can. And so what I want you to know is I believe that all of us on our journey of faith, if you study the Scriptures long enough, you're going to be confronted with this doctrine. You're going to ask yourself a question. You're going to say to yourself, wait a minute, I see the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. I see the work. I see the workings of the Spirit of God. But I question within myself, do I have the same experience? Then you will look at your own personal communion and fellowship with God. And most likely you will arrive at the conclusion that you say, wait a minute, I have the indwelling Holy Spirit because I wouldn't know the Father through Christ without the indwelling Holy Spirit. But... Does that mean that I have received of the power or the endowment or the grace like the men in the book of Numbers chapter 11 that were leaders amongst the people but weren't quite empowered yet to serve the body of the church in the wilderness but when the Spirit of God came upon them there was an awakening of spiritual gifts in their life and suddenly they were empowered to help Moses in his ministry to the men and women that he had led out of Egypt. So I think all of us will be confronted with it. Now, here's the truth, and I'm not, I can't dialogue this, but go back on your own and read Romans 8, verses 9 through 17. Because here's the belief of the assemblies of God. Here's my personal belief in this. Is we believe that there are two, at least two distinct works of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer. Number one is at conversion. We believe that when you believe upon Christ... When you confess your sins, at that moment, God breathes the breath of God. The illuminating power and the, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit joins with your spirit and declares you to be a child of God. At that moment of time, the Bible says that if you do not possess the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. But because you have faith in God through Christ his Holy Spirit has given life to your spirit, and now you can know the Father in your heart, and you can fellowship with Him through Christ. But for us, and for me personally, based upon the biblical pattern, I believe that there should be a distinct moment in your life that you can point back to and say, it was here. On that day, just like the 68 plus 2 in the book of Numbers, on that day, at that moment, in the altar, driving to church, driving the road, praying at home, whatever the case might be, wherever you got alone with God, that you could say, on that day, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit came upon my life and filled me with His presence and gave me endowments or graces of the Holy Spirit and it's marked me and changed me from that day forward. I believe that all of us should be able to have that experience. I believe in the hope of Moses today. 
You know what hope I have for you today? You know what prayer I pray for my children when I'm praying for them? I pray, oh God. I pray, I'm not praying as much about, about the, the blessing financially or a job or their career. I pray, oh God, let each one of them be filled with the power of the Spirit of the living God. And God, let them all be able to point to a moment that they can say, from that day forward, the Spirit of God came upon my heart and life, and it changed who I was. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you two passages, and then I gotta, I'm going to fold things together in closing. Read with me in the book of Ephesians. Let's go there. Because now Paul's writing to the church. So now this is the very church that he was ministering, that he founded at Ephesus. And let's just glance at it just real quickly. I don't know how much time. I got at least until 2.30. Right? Because, right, don't I? 2.15. Thank you. Ephesians 5. Read it with me, verses 18 through 20. Don't be drunk with wine. Thank you, two, two good amens. I'm just waiting on many more. Don't be drunk with wine. We're in his excess. But be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and what age, what age in fill, being filled with the Holy Spirit? What age? Don't forget this because I'm going to come back to this at the end. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Come on, sometimes I'm telling you that becomes the conduit. That becomes the, the channel or the means or the way in which God's Holy Spirit is just given to us as we worship. You know, the old adage was is that when the praises go up, the glory comes down. Come on, somebody. And so you sing and you make melody in your hearts. And then notice this, giving thanks always for all things, being thankful and worshiping God and being verbal. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 for just a moment. So now we're, now we're going from, doc, or from experience to doctrine. The book of Acts is given the experiences of that first century church, but now we see some doctrine that's associated with it. Chapter number 5, verses 16 through 20. I believe in doctrine. I believe in teaching and principles and precepts. I believe my experience must be validated by doctrine. Come on now. And because if I can't validate my experience by doctrine, then I'm in error, right? And so here Paul writes, and he says, rejoice evermore. How many know that's part of it? I mean, having a thankful and a gracious spirit. And then praying, praying and calling upon the name of the Lord. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. That's the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And then don't quench the spirit, right? And don't despise prophesying. So Tuck that away. Don't forget it. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Don't quench and embrace prophesying. So the follow-on question then, if you begin to lean the direction that I'm hoping you're leaning, how do you and I know when the Spirit has come upon you? Throughout the Scripture, beginning all the way back at Numbers 11, we can say this. Prophetic utterance has been the clear, consistent sign that the Spirit of God has come upon a believer prophetic utterance to include speaking in other tongues right did you know in the and, and i love this did you know that in the old testament and in the hebrew language there when it, the word prophesy that word prophesy there in the hebrew lexicon means this to bubble forth to bubble forth and I want you to think about that. When the Spirit of God comes upon the believer and the, whole, and the believer fills you, there will be a bubbling forth. 
Come on now, won't you? Now, wait, wait just a minute. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter number 7? Jesus said this. He said, out of your own belly is going to flow a river of living water. And so, personally, I believe that the greatest reference for uh, that we should even use the language is this. Prophetic utterance that includes speaking in tongues is the sign of spirit baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter number 2, what took place there, when Peter looks back, he's preaching just a few short minutes later, in Acts 2, verses 16 and 17 and 18, he's quoting from the prophet Joel. And when he's saying, okay, what you're seeing here today amongst this group of 120 men and women, this is nothing more than what Joel prophesied several hundred years ago. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Read that 17th verse with us right there. And he said, it shall come to pass in the last days. Go back to Moses' hope and prayer. It seems as if now it's being answered. A prophetic word made by Joel a few hundred years ago. God said, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18. Let's read it. My servants, my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So I want you to go all the way back to the book of Numbers when Moses said, I, I can't pastor this church in the wilderness any longer. I'm tired of the whining. I'm tired of the complaining. I'm doing it by myself. I need some help. And the Lord said, choose out 70 men that are solid in their faith. Bring them to the door of the tabernacle and I'll take of the Spirit of God that's upon you and I'll put it upon them. And they began to prophesy and God began to release supernatural gifts in their life. And Moses when he was confronted with the fact that two were not in the tabernacle they were in the camp and Moses said don't pray that prayer for my sake here's my prayer I pray that there will come a day that they're all the old and all the young all the male and all the female all the wealthy aristocrats and all the also those that are poor he said I pray that the spirit of God will come upon all of them and we see it coming to pass here in Acts chapter number two and so I believe in my heart of hearts for you and for us, that we need all of us, not just some of us, not just a few of us, not just a minority among us, but all of us, to be able to say, not only am I born again, but the Spirit of God has come upon me in a definitive way, and I know when and how He came into my life, and it's biblically it's, it is, it, it, I can prove it biblically. My experience is that of which I read about in the Word of God. And it gives me a confidence, and it encourages me to encourage you. So you say, Pastor Brown, all right then. So to, you said you, you, you'd preach faster towards the end. Well, now I've reached that place. So here I am. So are there any steps at all that will aid the believer in reaching that place coming to that moment where God's presence comes upon you and marks you for the rest of your life. I think there are. I'm going to drop those in your heart today just quickly without doctrinal scriptures behind them, just nuggets of what I believe to be true. Number one, consecrate yourself. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right there. Is that there, there, y'all have heard us talk about the doctrine of sanctification and, and so we, we believe in something that there's positional sanctification. We're sanctified by the blood of Jesus. 
but we also believe that there is experiential sanctification where we experience being set apart to God. Did you understand the word consecrate means you are set apart for God's purposes? And God is holy. And, and I want you to know that much of our lives are not holy. A lot of part of our lives, and we live in a generation, you don't have to go out to find sinful things. You, we bring sinful things into our own homes, right? And, and we can be so inundated with these things, and they can come upon us, and we become so active that it grieves the Spirit, quenches the Spirit. And so I believe that if you, on your journey, remember, your journey is singular, but you're a part of our journey. Right, And so you got to work out your own salvation because you working out your own salvation affects all of us. Because what would happen if Moses' prayer came to fruition amongst us? What would happen if all of us? How would that change the dynamic of this church? Consecrate yourself. Begin to seek the Lord in humility, not in judgmental attitude towards somebody else i'm holy and you're not but in humility be repentant purge yourself lay aside all filthiness of the flesh and perfect holiness in the sight of god i believe that is the first uh, if you will say uh, step towards the spirit of god being moved in or being loosed in your life in a new way number two you need to be a worshiper did you know the Hebrew people, Jewish people, have always been audible and expressionate in worship? Read the Psalms. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Lift up your voice. Worship. We were on the, we were on the airplane. People were asking me today, Dr. Brassel, about our trip. Shane, JoJo, all of us together. We were on the airplane. We are making our way to, to Israel. And, and, and there was a, a, a group of uh, Orthodox Jews, these Orthodox Jews are not born again. These are not Messianic Jews, all of that. But, but they still lifted their voices. They spoke audibly. And at a particular time, they went back to the back of the plane, and they worshiped, and they prayed, and they were loud, and they were expressionate. And so that's why it was much easier in the book of Acts for the Spirit of God to come upon that group of people because they were accustomed to worshiping God like this. They were accustomed to lifting up their voices they were accustomed to, to putting uh, volume to their voices in worship before God. So I, that's one thing that I do as your pastor and others here at our church. We encourage you to pray audibly. I had conversation with a pastor that called me this week to ask about prayer. I was glad to share with him because he remembered some of my, our experiences together. And I reminded him of what Jesus said about prayer. When you pray, say. Let me do it one more time. Let me say it one more time. When you pray, say. Open your mouth. God formed all things by the expression of a word. So if you're going to have or receive anything before God, you've got to open your mouth. So speak audibly before the Lord. Worship God and be audible in it. Number three, there are times that the laying on of hands. We read, not always. There's always exceptions. Right, there's no an exact pattern, but there are times that somebody else praying for you or praying with you can aid you in receiving of the grace of God. The book of Numbers, we have no record of that. Numbers 11. But the other record that we read in the book of Acts, we saw numerous examples where Peter and John lay hands on the Samaritans. Paul 
Ask that group of 12, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? No, we haven't even heard. Let's get you water baptized. Once they come out, I don't know if they were even dried off. I don't know if water's falling off their body. I don't know. All I know is the Bible says then Paul laid hands on them. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came. So sometimes that aids us. It's a part of it. But I think the next one, number four, is very critical. As I'm getting ready, I'm, I'm in the home stretch here today. And I'm going to invite the worship team to be back with us in just a moment of time. And that's number four, ask in prayer. You need to ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit. You receive not because you ask not. Come on, somebody. And this is a prayer that I pray on a constant, regular basis. I say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. Father, consecrate my life, Lord, in the name of Jesus, God. I pray it, and I pray it audibly, out loud. It's not enough to just... I mean, you got to put volume to your requests, and you got to say, God, I want you. Your word says in Ephesians 5 and 18 to not be drunk with wine, and I ain't going to be drinking no wine. Come on, somebody. Your word says I'm not going to drink that wine, so I'm going to ask you, Lord, to fill me with the Holy Spirit, oh God. I cannot fill myself, Lord, but you can fill me as I worship you, oh God. So ask the Lord, and I believe if you ask the Lord in faith, he is faithful. I've already kind of hinted on this one. I'll go ahead. I just believe in it so much I include it almost twice. You just got to speak. You got to speak the prophetic utterance that flows out of your mouth. Come on, it might seem like praise. If it's tongues, then it's not going to be something you're going to understand. I'm not trying to teach you how to speak in tongues. I'm not trying to even teach about speaking in other tongues because that's not the point of this message. The point of this message is this. There was a prayer made by the man of God 1,500 years prior to Acts. So that would be 3,500 years ago that I believe that that prayer still speaks today. God, let all your people, let all your people, so you got to speak the utterance. Whatever it is, you got to be vocal. you got to let in your private time with God, whether your private time is in a corporate setting like we have during worship or whether you're alone with the Lord, you got to open your mouth. you just got to speak it out. you gotta ch- you got to get over. Uh, you got to get over, you know, this thing inside of us that we're intimidated to, to open our mouth and let something bubble forth. And you say, Pastor, it takes faith. Yes, that takes faith. But you're trusting the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Whether you pray in the Spirit, whether you pray in tongues, if you pray in tongues, you will not rationally understand the words that you speak, but God knows our heart. And He understands the cry of the language of the Spirit that comes through your heart and through your mouth. So you got to speak the utterance. What's that song that we sing sometimes? We say, let it out. Right, so you just got to let it out. You got to let it out. It's a part of it. You got to overcome the, the, the hindrances that we all have. And for some of you, I felt the Holy Spirit just remind me of this. Some of you have had a, an individual experience, a distinct experience, but you haven't continued in it. You got to continue in this. You got to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Two more, and then it's totally finished. Number six today. Are you fully convinced that this is the will of God for you? If you don't, if you're one foot here and one foot there, then it's going to take a very remarkable moment for you to have the Holy Spirit come over you in that way because you're harboring unbelief, right? Remember, the would God, all his people. Did you hear that? The prayer of Moses, the man of God, would to God, that all his people were prophets, and God would put his spirit 
upon you. Are you convinced in your heart today? I was thinking about this in closing this message. I want to invite the worship team to come back and join us here on the platform. They're going to have to be spontaneous. We're going to close this message. It's 1132, but we're going to close it at the, and, and just worship in a moment of time and just let the Lord have his liberty among us. What would happen, I want to go back to this, if all of us were, I'm not trying to diminish anybody who has not received. My, my, my job as your pastor is to continue to encourage you. Come up here. Come up here. You know, the, the hill of God, they used to call that in the days of the, of the kings, the hill of God. Come up to the hill of God. Come up. Moses went up on Mount Sinai. And so we're calling you and compelling you. That's my, it's not to condemn. It's not to belittle anyone. But it's always to challenge you till to, 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 to you begin to challenge the unbelief that can be in your heart and mind. Here's what unbelief looks like in your heart and mind. Well, it's for other people. Well, oh, but I, I'm born again, and, and that's, that, that is that. That is the bad. Because there's a, let me, let me tell you, we live in the generation of Google search, doctrinal Google search. And when you doctrinal Google search, you will find what you're looking for. And if you're already convinced in your mind and you're going to look long enough, you're going to find enough theology to convince you that there is no separate work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. You will find enough doctrine from enough educated people that you will walk away and say, see, I told you, Pastor Brown's one of those wacko guys. Now, that part might be true. But if you also... Look long enough, you're going to find that there's hundreds and thousands and millions, and this is not an exaggeration, hundreds of millions of believers who believe like I do and we do, and that this is the will of God for you, and it's uncomfortable at times until you get comfortable with it, right? But you will eventually get comfortable with it, and then you'll know the gifts that are on the inside of you, and you'll be grateful for them, and you'll know and it won't just be speaking in tongues or prophesying. Typically, there are other spiritual endowments that follow that initial work of the Spirit in your heart and life. And it's up to us to be firmly convinced. And that's my hope for you today, that you be firmly convinced. And the last one that I put up here is real quick and easy. Moses' prayer is my prayer. It's your pastor. Let's go back to it. Joshua, the son of Nun, comes running to Moses. Moses, I'm sure Joshua's there in the tabernacle, courtyard area, probably somewhere between the brazen altar and the brazen laver or between the brazen laver, laver and the entrance into the holy place, the sealed holy place that was prohibited from anybody but the Levites. Perhaps, maybe not in that area, maybe just even outside. It might not even be in that area of the, of the tabernacle. But somewhere near or adjacent to the, the, the tabernacle, the church in the wilderness, while that group of 68 men are consecrated and dedicated to the Lord, God supernaturally takes of the spirit that's on Moses and puts it upon them, and 68 men prophesy. Prophesy, whatever happens in them comes out of them. And you've got to get convinced that that's what's going to happen to you. Whatever happens in you is going to come out of you. And they begin to prophesy. And Joshua hears from a young man, another young man, that, that there were two that were in the camp 
and didn't come to the tabernacle. And they tells Joshua, so Joshua goes running to tell Moses and says, Moses, there are two of the 70. We got to stop them. And Moses, I want you to just let it sink in your spirit today. Moses says something. He said, don't say that for my sake. He said, here's my hope. And here's my prayer. My hope and prayer is that God would put his spirit upon all. Don't you think about that. That's good, church family. That was Moses' hope, and that's Moses' prayer. Guess what? You and I live in what they call the dispensation when Moses' hope and prayer is being fulfilled. When all of God's children can receive of the Holy Spirit in a unique and a distinct and a special way. So stand up with me today, 1137. And I'm not going to make this about me to you. I'm going to make this just about you to the Lord. I want to encourage you during worship. I want to encourage you whether you worship where you're at, at your seat, or whether you worship the Lord here by coming to the front. I always love to see people come to the front, especially if you're just hungry for God. If you're just hungry for God, then all parts of the seven points should be a part of yours. Consecration. Who here is gonna, should walk out here and say, well, I don't need God to consecrate me? I don't think any of us. I think all from the most holiest person here, we ought to all be able to say, God, consecrate me, oh God. Help me to be holy before you, God. And God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. And let the gifts of God, or maybe if I've already spoken tongues or I've already prophesied, but God, I want to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of me. God, I'm tired of it being dormant. I'm tired of it not not having a fresh anointing, God. I want that fresh, fragrant anointing of the Spirit of the living God. Oh, God, would that all of your people... So I want to ask you, if you would, church family, those of you that want to join me at the altar, come to the altar. Those of you that want to make the altar your seat, then make it where you're at. But don't let anything distract you. Take a few minutes before the Lord and just pray and seek the Lord. Pray the the prayer of Moses. Pray the prayer of Moses. Would to God. Would to God. Would to God. Would to God that all of us. Would to God that all of us. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Would to God.